0: Welcome to Primary Care Talks. I'm your host, Dr. Hassan Jahan from the Eastern Academic Health Science Network. We're speaking with Dr. Peter Bannister here at the Institute of Engineering and Technology. Today, we're going to be hearing about artificial intelligence, specifically, what is AI? How does it actually work? And, and more importantly, how is it going to impact on us in primary care? So, Peter, uh, to start with, what, what, what really can you tell our listeners about artificial intelligence? What does it mean?
1: Hi, Sam. Um, Artificial intelligence is quite a broad term, although as you said, people understand it and it's in common use today. Um, I guess technically it covers any area where you're trying to get a computer to mimic human cognitive behaviour, and as you say that can then span anything from the apocalypse through to more practical solutions which are impacting on healthcare and other industries today. Um, So within artificial intelligence, A subset of that is machine learning Um, and that's specifically where you get a computer to perform a task without explicitly programming it. So rather than saying here are a set of steps I want you to follow, you give it some examples and then machine learning techniques allow the computer to learn from those examples and replicate that task. And that's what's being commonly applied in a lot of healthcare situations when people are talking about artificial intelligence.
0: I think really what we're going to have to do is try and scratch under the surface and explain and try and understand more of that, Peter. Um, but before we delve down, uh, what would be really useful is is for just our listeners out there to understand a little bit about you, in terms of your background, where you've come from, if you like, and, and how you got involved in this sector to start with.
1: Sure. So I originally trained at university as an engineer. Um, I did a PhD in medical image analysis. Um, I then did some research in machine learning. Um, looking at how you can teach jet engines to detect whether or not they're going to get sick or develop faults ahead of time because there's a big safety and cost implication. That same approach is actually used and was being used on monitoring patients both in primary and in secondary settings. From that point onwards I've spent about 10 years working with a number of um, startup and scale-up medtech digital health companies. Um, and I've also had a stint working in the clinical trial space for a company that developed software to help in the execution of clinical trials for oncology and immunotherapies.
0: And, and has that specifically led to an interest in healthcare, or is that just something that's naturally evolved, you think, for yourself?
1: A lot of it stemmed out of radiology, where you have to extract information from images, which have lots of pixels. Um, that initially took me into healthcare through, through, through medical imaging. But from that point onwards, particularly having been involved in the IET, which includes a wide range of engineers working on a very diverse set of problems, including those in healthcare, that really sustained my interest in the broader application of engineering, and in particular, machine learning, artificial intelligence as applied to healthcare.
0: Thank you, Peter. So, so let's try and delve a little bit into, into what AI actually is and, and how it can impact on, on, on our future. Now, what I struggle to to get, or what people might be thinking about, is what's the difference between, say, a robot uh, and what you're describing, or or are they completely different?
1: There's certainly overlap, so robots, which to some degree use artificial intelligence technology, are being applied, for example, in surgery or in assisting the elderly in some some countries. Um, I think where it's helpful to make the distinction is robot tends to imply that the robot itself is m- making the decisions, that is acting autonomously, whereas most of the applications that, that I see today that I think about are where machine learning or artificial intelligence is being used to help the clinician either manage a vast amount of data that they have available on the patient which in practice they can't interrogate manually, um, or to help them extract new information from that data, let's say there's um, something that may not be obviously visually perceptible in the data, so if you're monitoring someone's um, blood glucose level over a long period of time, there may be certain temporal patterns that a machine can spot quite reliably but by eye you may not be able to pick up as reliably. So
0: one of the things I'm thinking about is, so we, we did a podcast recently around uh, virtual reality and augmented reality. So when we're talking now, when we're having this conversation about artificial intelligence, I start to think about, well, surely the two things are combined in some way, are they not? So if you're able to think of augmented reality for a scenario, and then you add an element of artificial intelligence within that, then are we talking about the future, a real virtual world where computer software can generate beings that will actually be clinicians that can think laterally?
1: I think that's, it's an exciting thought but I think that the, f- that the near future, the next 20 year, 10 or 20 years is going to be more about enhancing what the, the, rea- the real the human clinician themselves is able to do with the patient. I think a very useful concept that came out of the recent Topol review was this phrase the gift of time. The idea that automated artificial intelligence technologies have the greatest value impact on healthcare if they allow the clinician to spend more time face-to-face with the patient, treating the patient on an individual basis, which is something I think it's ultimately going to be very hard to get a machine to do, and I don't think there's a huge desire to do that today. there are some settings, for example, as you mentioned with augmented reality, where that can enhance, let's say, telemedicine. So you can allow the clinician to do more by projecting their, um, their presence into, into new settings. But, but I personally don't think of it about as creating, let's say, synthetic clinicians.
0: I've, I've raced too far ahead, haven't I? I think I, I think I play too many video games to uh, So, so tell me. So, so, a lot of our listeners out there are, are primary care practitioners, so GPs, paramedics, physiotherapists, and so that they might be listening to this, thinking, okay, well, w- what does artificial intelligence mean for me uh, in the short term? So, over the next three to five years, is it going to even hit me? Um, and then perhaps, you know, as you mentioned, 20 years. So what, how is it going to look different in 20 years from a practical perspective?
1: I think a few key areas are um, so things like speech recognition. There are already examples where electronic patient record generation can be carried out using voice recognition rather than having to turn around and type or, or write down the patient's history. Um, There are also examples where I think wearables are going to play a big part in bringing machine learning into the primary care workflow. So potentially through devices which are general fitness monitors or smartwatches um, which have some monitoring functionality. But I think increasingly there are devices coming out which are specific to certain conditions which are very good at, let's say, monitoring someone who's got diabetes. I think that will mean that the primary care physician will have higher quality clinical information available to them when they see the patient and in some cases will allow them to involve the patient in their own care. I think a third area is around screening technologies and I'm not sure how much that intersects with primary care but certainly having that early detection model, that prognostic healthcare approach, that's an area where machine learning, artificial intelligence is going to play a big role.
0: When, when I listen to the description I think um, you know there are lots of devices out there, wearables and there are software solutions that allow data to be gathered. I think in primary care what we're not short of is data. We can get reams of data around patient statistics, their activities um, and perhaps even their mood depending on who's doing the recording. Um, I guess what I'm interested in is, is how does the AI component change what we do now. Uh, Collecting data is not the problem, it's the interpretation that's the issue.
1: Yes, I I agree with that. I think what artificial intelligence can help with is turning data into information, so clinically actionable insights. There's absolutely that streamlining role on one level, making sense of the the data and highlighting information to the clinician so they actually have something they can act on. I do believe that there is another opportunity in terms of creating new insights, either by um, being able to make comparisons that, that human beings, even skilled human beings, can't do intuitively. So an example of that is people are very good at seeing things in three dimensions, but if you start to consider higher dimensional data, so that might be five or six different ECGs, for example, or it might be one type of scan combined with another type of clinical data, it becomes much harder to fuse that information in real time and, and, and extract new insights from that. And that's where definitely artificial intelligence has shown promise.
0: So they're facilitating the if you like consultation rather than necessarily driving it, That that's what we're talking about really.
1: Yes I think that's an important point because there are established regulations and guidelines for the development of these kind of technologies and I think it's important while I remain absolutely an optimist in terms of what this technology can do to help healthcare meet its needs today and go beyond. Um, There's also clearly a clinical and a technical responsibility to make sure that you're not racing ahead of yourself. It's a new tool that the clinician can use, that the primary care practitioner can 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 deploy um, and again allows them to do more with the time that they have.
0: You're listening to Primary Care Talks with Dr Hassan Chauhan. Peter, can, can we talk specifics then for a minute? So, are there certain projects or themes that you're working on at the moment that you're able to give a bit more detail about?
1: So, my main focus actually at the moment is in a more therapeutic area, so using deep learning, um, which is a form of machine learning, to assist in the radiotherapy planning process. I've also been working on a number of digital health projects which are looking at taking advantage of all of these data sources that exist both within the NHS in the UK but further afield. There's a huge excitement and enthusiasm about what we might be able to do if we gave artificial intelligence our genomic data and our full patient healthcare record and diagnostic imaging and our um, healthcare um, tracker data um, and put that all together and wouldn't that give us a much more complete individual picture of the patient? But to get to that point, one of the challenges I've been working on with people is how do you actually give patients the confidence that they're in charge of their data and that to people who want to use that data, that it's the data they expect, that it's of the appropriate quality.
0: In your experience, Peter, are clinicians welcoming this change or, and patients? Or, or do you think actually you're meeting quite a lot of resistance?
1: I think if you can be open about the limitations of this technology people from the clinical side are generally very positive and and pragmatic about it. Something that we are very focused on within the institution of engineering and technology healthcare sector is ensuring that engineers are talking to people from other stakeholder groups so to make these solutions and to make them work effectively at scale which is when they're only really going to have that value. You need to understand the clinical problem, as a clinician would. You need to understand the constraints of the healthcare environment, as someone from procurement, let's say, might do. You need to understand the health economic benefit, as well as the scientific benefit, and also the safety, the regulatory side of things. That's a set of skills that one person is unlikely to hold um, on their own. And so where we're seeing a lot of positive reaction from clinicians and others is in coming to them in a very collaborative way, where we can all sit in a room, share our skills and actually come up with something much more quickly that's going to effectively solve the problem.
0: So Peter, the the, the changes within the general practice contract uh, have put in place primary care networks uh, and the basic premise of primary care networks is to try to, to understand population health. So having practices and community providers collaborating together to focus on a local population group to try and improve their health. So whilst we're having this conversation, I start to think about the application of AI technology within that sort of a subset, um, and think of the benefits it could have for that population. And it can be changed for whichever population health group you happen to pick up, depending on their um, parameters.
1: Yes, I think it's got a very key role to play. Um, One of the areas that sometimes I feel has been neglected in the past when you talk about medical technology has been the area around social care and also to some degree around mental health. Um, Having come through my career in medical technology the the default is it's some kind of interventional widget that is brought to bear when you know there's a problem, a very physically manifested condition. So I think definitely on a population health basis it has a real role to play and in particular I think when you're looking at population health the um, Remedies that you can bring to bear cover a a wide range of options, so it could be around um, diet, it could be around the uh, quality of the environment itself, and those are areas where we already have a lot of data. For example, your supermarket loyalty card tells you a lot about your food buying habits. Now, there will be opportunities, I believe, in that setting to link that sort of data back to your overall care in a primary setting and I think help clinicians and patients make better decisions that have a longer term impact on their health.
0: Peter, what we haven't talked about is money. Um, Whenever we think of technology like this it just starts to get really expensive and we think well actually is the implementation going to cost so much that it just becomes cost prohibitive. Uh, Is this affordable technology or is it out of our grasp at the moment within the NHS?
1: I think the technology itself in terms of the clinical application of artificial intelligence is as affordable as other healthcare solutions. Where I think we need to really focus our efforts is on the infrastructure that's going to, be able to enable this kind of technology to be delivered at scale and, and realise the benefits that we all hope it will. But coming back to an earlier point, it's going to be delivered on an individual level and I think it's going to require a lot of collaboration between people with different skill sets. At the policy level as well as at the practitioner level, to make this happen.
0: I think it's a a useful point you make about the development of infrastructure um, because I, you know, working where I do, I know I have colleagues who are rural GPs, uh, rural health centres that are in the middle of nowhere. Uh, where if you install one additional software program the whole system crashes. In fact, I have colleagues who work in practices where you're limited by the number of computers you can actually turn on at the same time because it just crashes the network or crashes the ability to function. And I'm assuming for something like this you're looking at large data centers, off-site solutions, uh, internet requirement of of, uh, vast speeds, and so it probably is likely to focus on large cities I would have thought to start with before being able to be rolled out more rurally.
1: I expect that may well be true but I hope that isn't the case for long because again there's a real benefit in this technology being made available in more remote locations as I said earlier. Um, I think not just on the financial aspect but this speaks to some of my core motivations as an engineer which is first of all understanding what the real problem is that we need to solve and then working with the right people to solve that problem. And while there's this, to some degree, justified excitement about what artificial intelligence can do, we need to make sure that our focus is balanced on all of the other components that will make up these solutions. And I think the AHSNs and other organisations provide a great opportunity for people from these different professional backgrounds to get in a room, thrash out actually what is the real problem that we need to solve and what might be already available to help us solve it. But we need to have that balanced approach it's not just about the shiny new thing and i think something that i heard about the nhs 10-year view was that to some degree everything in that vision is already somewhere in the nhs the challenge is moving from pilots to widespread deployment and that's less about the core technological innovation but it's more about behaviors and the payment structures that we set up around to incentivise its widespread adoption.
0: I think you just summarise the whole thing there for me, Peter, which is, which is great. Uh, uh, you know, I think the point you make is valid, is that um, the will is there, the technology is there, or, or in development. What we need to look at now is the infrastructure that needs to be in place to allow some of these changes to happen. Some of that is about having the the actual technology to be able to do it. Some of it is about the legislation and the true governance to be able to employ some of it. Um, But a lot of it is about the individual or the end user and that's both the clinician and the patient. Uh, We've sort of talked about the ability of this to perhaps replace clinicians and I think that causes some anxiety amongst individuals and clinicians. And that possibly also causes some anxiety for our patients. I think there's no doubt that initially this has got to be a great concept for safety, for providing a safety net anyway for good, robust patient care, um, but going forwards it has the ability to start to, t- to detect things that actually clinicians, even the most trained clinicians hadn't even thought about. Uh, and often, you know, I'll sit there with a the patient and you will have a myriad of symptoms, and I know there are software solutions that are looking at, say perhaps genomics uh, to see whether or not you can put some of these symptoms together and come up with a diagnosis. Um, And some of that is about using a data set for a whole population and trying to match those symptoms with those diagnoses within that population. But that's limited by the information you have. With technology like this, true artificial intelligence, you can start to think of diagnoses that perhaps we haven't even contemplated. Um, and that's the exciting aspect of this, isn't it? It's the, it's the unknown, it's the what we don't know, or what we know we don't know. Uh, and that's really what's going to be a game changer for the NHS.
1: Completely agree. I remain really excited about those opportunities. As you say, the potential of what we could do once we've got the data organised and integrated and deployed across the whole of the healthcare system. So I definitely see that as the, the next phase of development.
0: So Peter, it's been really exciting talking to you today about artificial intelligence and its implications and, in fact, uh, the, the effect it's going to have on the NHS and, and healthcare and social care. Uh, with all these podcasts, what we ask our guests is if they're willing to allow um, our listeners to make contact. So, would it be okay if we put some of your contact details out with the podcast? So, if people had burning questions about AI that they really wanted to ask, they can, they can be directed to a, a certain source?
1: Absolutely, and I think that links into my overall aim, which is to bring engineers into contact with clinicians, patients, and really see what interesting problems, and valid problems we can start solving together.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much. Just a quick reminder from me, if you are planning any new initiatives, please make sure that you keep within nice guidelines.